Hello, my good friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 152 of The Informed Catholic. Once more, my name is Ned Jabbar, and this is The Informed Catholic, and this is going to be episode 152 uh, for this year. So, if you like what I do and you think I'm doing a good job, please subscribe and share. I would greatly appreciate it. Okay, so before we begin, uh, for this episode, we're going to read Pope Francis' talk uh, that... um, that he gave to a general audience in Paul the Sixth Audience Hall. This was Wednesday, August eighteenth, twenty twenty-one. It's a catechesis on the letter of uh, Saint Paul's letter to the Galatians. This is the um, now. Uh, I don't usually follow these things, but this one got a lot of controversy. And it's uh, this is number five of the preparatic value of the law. And I know Taylor, uh, Dr. Taylor Marshall said something about it. Uh, I know John Henry Weston said something about it. And they all lo- uh, made it look like as though he said that the law, which is like the Ten Commandments or the law of Moses that God gave to Moses, did not have any value or that it wasn't important. It wasn't um, relevant anymore. And I had a talk with my friend, Henry. Uh, he he teaches catechesis at a, uh, at a parish in Manhattan. And I mentioned it to him. And Henry is, one thing about Henry, he's very good at checking the whole controversy out. I'm talking about the whole controversy. In other words, he... <coughs> excuse me. He he wants to hear what the whole... the whole story. He, he'd rather hear it himself rather than listen to reports. And he's right. He's right. He, he's, he recently just said to me, that Thomas Aquinas said that usually when your spiritual advisor it tells you to do something or gives you some kind of spiritual advice and you may not like it, you have to assume that there is good intention behind it. That is that this person is actually thinking of your of your best well being. And, you know, I, I, he's right about that. Now, admittedly, even I find Pope Francis hard to like. He's been, he's been a, 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 a pretty difficult pope. Not necessarily because he's a difficult pope. I think because he's always been this way all his life as Jorge Borgorio. He's a Jesuit. And Jesuits are hard to like. I have to admit that is only, I mean, I love the writings of St. Ignatius of Loyola, like my friend Henry. 
people like Dr. James, I'm sorry, um, Father James Martin, Rainbow Martin, and several other Jesuits who have a very liberation theology approach are not are not likable. They're not likable. Uh, and I'm not saying because I don't like them, but because of their tactics, their methods, their the the way they go about things. And that makes it very difficult because they seem to be very liberal. They seem to be against church morals and church teachings. Pope Francis, um, I have to admit it hasn't been exactly the same way, but, you know, I don't think he's against church morals. I think his problem is he wants to be liked. He's a particular prelate. He's like, you know, he was a cardinal before this. And just like Blaise Subage, Cardinal Dolan, and uh, Donald Wuerl, and uh, um, Gregory in Washington, D.C., and several other, um, several other, uh, you know, clerics and, you know, uh, cardinals and bishops, they they do things to be liked. They don't, they don't stop politicians receiving Holy communion. They, they don't, they don't stop, um, scandalous behavior by homosexuals and other people in, in parishes around the country. Um, they, they look the other way. They, uh, their practice, the way they treat their parishioners, whenever there's a scandal, um, their their attack against conservative Catholics such as the the traditional Latin Mass. They're in they're they're their own church. They're a church a, a, a church leadership against the 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 faithful. They're they're in opposition, and this is true. All right. Uh, I'm going to stop here. We're going to uh, first we're going to say a prayer and then we're going to start reading the entire uh, Pope Francis uh, letter, uh, the, the, the talk he gave. And we're going to read it. We're really going to read it. And we're going to, you know, we're going to sort of dissect it a little bit. OK, so let's start with an Our Father and a Hail Mary and a Glory Be. And we're going to say this for Pope Francis. OK. This, the, the, these three prayers are going to be for the Holy Father. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Okay. Let's start the letter. All right. Catechesis uh, on the letter to the Galatians. It's number five. The 
value of the law. This is by Pope Francis, general audience in Paul VI Audience Hall, Wednesday, August 18th, 2021. Brothers and sisters, good morning. St. Paul, who loved Jesus and had clearly understood what salvation was, has taught us that the children of the promise, Galatians chapter 4, verse 28, that is, all of us justified by Jesus Christ are no longer bound by the law, but are called to the demanding lifestyle of the freedom of the gospel. The law, however, exists, but there exists another way, the same law, the Ten Commandments, but with another way, because it could no longer be justified by itself once the Lord had come. And therefore, in today's catechesis, I would like to explain this. And we ask, what according to the letter of the Galatians is the role of the law? In the passage we have heard, Paul says that the law was like a pedagogy, a pedagogia. It's, it is a beautiful image, that of the pedagogy. We spoke about during the last audience, an image that deserves to be understood in its correct meaning. The Apostle seems to suggest that Christians divide the history of salvation in two parts, and also his personal story. There are two periods, before becoming believers in Christ Jesus and after receiving the faith. At the center is the event of the death and resurrection of Jesus which Paul preached in order to inspire faith in the Son of God, the source of salvation, and in Christ Jesus we are justified. Therefore, starting from faith in Christ, there is before and an after with regard to the law itself, because the law exists, the commandments exists, but there is one attitude before the coming of Jesus and another afterwards. The previous history is determined by being under the law and one who followed the path of the law was saved, justified. The subsequent history after the coming of Jesus was to be lived by following the Holy Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. This is the first time that Paul uses this expression to be under the law. The underlying meaning implies the idea of a negative servitude, typical of slaves to be under. The apostle makes it explicit by saying that when one is under the law, it is as if one is watched and locked up, a kind of preventative custody. This period, says 
St. Paul, has lasted a long time, from Moses to the coming of Jesus, and is perpetuated as long as one lives in sin. The relationship, the relationship between the law and sin will be explained in a more systematic way by the Apostle in his letter to the Romans, written a few years after the one to the Galatians. In summary, the law leads to the definition of the transgression and to making people aware of their own sin. You have done this, and so the law, the Ten Commandments, say thus, you are in sin, or rather, as common experience teaches, the precepts the precept ends up stimulating the transgression. In the letter to the Romans, he writes, When we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, we um, aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive. Romans chapter 7, verse 5 to 6. Why? Because the justification of Jesus Christ has come. Paul, uh, uh, scantily expression his vision of the law. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56. A dialogue, you are under the law, and you, and you are there with the door open to sin. In this context, the reference to the pedagogical role played by the law makes full sense. But the law is the pedagogy that leads you where? To Jesus. In the scholastic system of antiquity, the pedagogy did not have the function we attribute to him today, namely that of supporting the education of a boy or a girl. At that time, he was instead a slave whose task was to accompany the master's son to the teacher and then bring him home again. In this way, he was to protect his ward from danger and watch over him to ensure he did not behave badly. His function was, was rather discipline, disciplinary. When the boy became an adult, the pedagogy ceased his duties. The pedagogy to whom Paul refers was not the teacher, but the one who accompanied his ward to school, who watched over the boy and brought him back home. Referring to the law in these terms enables St. Paul to clarify the role it played in the history of Israel. The Torah that is, the law was an act of magnanimity by, by God towards his people. After the election of Abraham, the other great act was the law. 
laying down the path to follow. It certainly had restrictive functions. But at the same time, it had protected the people. It had educated them, disciplined them, and supported them in their weakness, especially by protecting them from paganism. There were many pagan attitudes in those times. The Torah says there's only one God, and he has set us on our way, an act of goodness by the Lord. And certainly, as I said, it had restrictive functions. But at the same time, it protected the people. It had educated them. It had disciplined them. And it supported them in their weakness. And this is why the apostle goes on to describe the, the, the phase of, my, uh, of minor age. And he, and he says, Heirs, as long as there are minors, are no better than slaves. Though they are the owners of all the property, but they remain under guardians and trustees until the date set by the father. So with us, while we were minors, we were enslaved to the elemental spirits of the world. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. In summary, the, apostle, the apostle's conviction is that the law certainly possesses a positive function. The pedagogy in accompanying his ward, but it, it, but it is a function that is limited in time. It cannot extend its duration too far because it is linked to the maturation of in individuals and their choice of freedom. Once one has come to faith, the law exhausts its productive value and must give away to another authority. What does this mean? Thus, after the law, we can say we believe in Jesus Christ and do what we want. No, the commandments exist, but they do not justify us. What makes us just is Jesus Christ. The commandments must be observed, but they do not give us justice. There is the gratuitousness of Jesus Christ. The encounter with Jesus Christ is uh, the encounter with Jesus Christ that freely justifies us. The merit of faith in receiving Jesus, the only merit opening the heart. And what do we do with the commandments? We must observe them but as an aid to the encounter with Jesus Christ. This teaching on the value of the law is very important and deserves to be considered carefully so we do not give way to misunderstandings and take false steps. It is good for us to ask ourselves if we still live in the period in which we need the law or if, or if instead we are fully aware of having received the grace of becoming children of God so as to live in love, how do I live? In the fear that if I do not do this, I will go to hell, or I do live with the hope, too, with that joy of gratuitousness of salvation in Jesus Christ. It is, it is a good question. And also the second, 
Do I disregard the commandments? No, I observe them, but not as absolutes because I know that it is Jesus Christ who justifies me. Special greetings. I cordially greet the English-speaking faithful. May these tranquil summer days be for you and your families a special time of grace and spiritual renewal. God bless you. Summary of the Holy Father's words. Dear brothers and sisters, in our continuing catechesis on the letter to the Galatians, we have seen how St. Paul teaches the faith in Jesus Christ brings a spiritual freedom that liberates believers from the demands of the Mosaic law. For the apostles, for the apostle, the law served as a pedagogical function, as a merciful gift of God. It demanded obedience to his commandments, while at the same time pointing to the reality of our sin, sinfulness and need for salvation. With the coming of Christ and his redeeming grace, the law finds its fulfillment in the gospel message of new life and freedom in the spirit. And that's where it ends there. So this is where, this is where everybody made it into a controversy. All right. And um, I'm going to read it. How do I live in the fear that if I do, if I do not do this, I will go to hell or do I live with the hope too, with the with that joy of gratuitousness? I'm always messing that word up of salvation in Jesus Christ. It is a good question. Also, the second: Do I disregard the commandments? No, I observe them, but not as absolutes, because I know that it is Jesus Christ who justifies me. Now, they tend to they tend to take that one out of complete context. I'm really disappointed. I am really, really disappointed. Dr. Taylor Marshall, John Henry Weston, and there was a report, the, the that hour news that Church Milton does on their channel, where they did a report and they took that out of context. That that line. And it's really disappointing. I know people are angry with him. They're angry because of the Latin mass. They're angry because of his attack on, on, uh, on conservative Catholicism, on traditional trads. And this is where everybody's getting themselves into trouble here. They're to take his words out of context and not read the whole thing. I've done it. I'm guilty of it because I know I find him very hard to like. He is a very difficult man to like. Pope Francis, Jorge Bergoglio, is a very difficult pope. He's a Jesuit. And Jesuits, I think, tend to be very ambiguous sometimes. But he didn't say anything here that was against orthodoxy. He, he tends to... He, look, he's a... He's a he is a, a, a cleric who wants to be liked. He still walks in his own personal way within orthodoxy. But in many ways, when he deals with people, he tends to go outside the fringes of orthodoxy. I'm serious. I know a lot of people are not going to agree with me. But he does, in some cases, stay within, the, within that realm, in his own way, in his own style. But when it comes to 
to traditional Catholicism, to actual Catholics who live in a um, who live their faith more broadly conservative, he doesn't seem to like them. He doesn't seem to like them. Like you know, we all know he made complaints about young men who who want to dress up and be more we be more conservative. Which we should we all be happy that we're getting young, young, uh, young priests that do that? But yes, there is. There seems to be a problem, and Taylor Marshall is right when he observes Pope Francis that he has a hostility, and I think that we all ha we all have to learn to to understand where does this hostility come from? Where where did it start? And you know, there were, remember there was that film called The Two Popes, and a lot of people don't talk about it, but in that film. I think there's there's some truth in it where his experiences in Argentina under the the political dictatorship in that uh, that Argentine that Argentinians went through there were a lot of Catholics that that suffered and I think Pope Francis uh trying to trying to balance it trying to protect the church and at the same time making deals with the 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 dictatorship of that of that government that's where the hostility began i think his failure to protect to 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 protect and be the the leader that he was supposed to be making the wrong choices that cost that may have cost the lives and may have cost a lot of catholics to uh those who those who were sort of like difficult to deal with like they they embraced a lot of Marxist socialism and I think the failure led him um, led him to, to, to go out of those fringes to go into more liberal fringes I think he, he his failure he blames it on conservative Catholicism instead of in a sense looking at himself and looking at the choices, looking at the, the the difficulty he was going through, maybe examining it more broadly instead of blaming him, blaming, blaming the church because it's easy to blame the church. That's what the devil wants. The devil wants you to blame the church. And I think he, you know, he, you know, he's he's really playing that out in his own, in his own, in his own psychology, in his own uh, guilt, if I could say. And I think that's where the problem lies. You know, we have to understand where someone's coming from, right? We have to understand. I mean, if you know, if we're to be good Christians, if we're to be good faith, faithful followers of Christ, we have to play it out the same way. I think that those particular um, uh, trads who go all the way out into the fringes, um, you know, may be in a sense playing out certain psychological things themselves. They're playing it out because think about it. They may feel that they were deprived of this or maybe they're going, maybe they're playing with, with, with uh, Latin mass Catholicism sort of in a sense to out of guilt. But, they, but a lot of them may not have the faith just going, let me tell you something, just going to a, going to a traditional Latin mass is not going to, uh, going there, but not practicing Catholicism is not going to make you a good Catholic. When you hear someone say that they just love the aesthetics, well, what about Jesus Christ? Because you got to remember, we, we're all going to be tested. 
we're all going to be put to the test. The Lord's going to put all, every single one of us are going to be put on trial when the day comes. A liberal Catholics are going to be put on trial. James Martin crowd, the homosexual crowd, the, the, the pedophile, whatever you want to call them, the, the, the social justice Catholics are going to be put on trial. The traditional trad Catholic is going to be put on trial. The set of a contests, uh, the ones who believe the chair Peter's empty, you're all going to be put on trial. I'm going to be put on trial. The politicians like Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden and, and Carrie and, and Mario Cuomo, we're all going to be on trial. We're all going to have our day before the Lord. Pope Francis is going to have his day on the before the Lord. The the these these bad clerics who who go around hiding hiding sexual predators, they're going to be put on trial. The sexual predator is going to be put on trial. None of us are escaping this. None of us are going to escape it. All all our works, all our sins are going to come to the light. We're not going to escape it. Just because we, we, we hide and we cover ourselves in this. We're covering ourselves. We're no different than wolves in sheep's clothing unless what is done in the dark will be brought to the light. What is whispered in secret will be shouted at the rooftops. Everyone will have to bring their works out into the light. Everybody. It doesn't matter who, Taylor Marshall, John Henry Weston, Michael Voris. It doesn't matter. We're all going to be judged. We're all going to be judged and there is no escaping it. Okay? It doesn't matter how much Latin you know. It doesn't matter how much Greek you know. It doesn't matter if you read the, the Council of Trent Catechism or... Or you read the, the Catechism of John Paul II that came out with Benedict. It doesn't matter. We are all going to be judged. If we do not produce the fruit of faith and the fruit of repentance, we're all going to be judged. So, you know, Taylor Marshall may, may, may have hostility towards Pope Francis. You know, my question is, he goes to the SSPX. He hasn't bothered to bring up the, the sexual scandals of the SSPX. And I'm, you know, I have to say, we all can't ignore it. We all seen the reports that Christine Niles brought up, right? We all seen it. John Henry Weston, they don't want to bring that up. So, if there's some kind of financial dealings, because the SSBX has a lot of money, is the truth worth hiding for tradition and money? Is the victims, the voices of the victims worth ignoring? From, you know, for tradition, no. We know, we, we know, we all, we all have to, the truth is what matters. Christ is the truth. You know, Christ is the truth. I'm sorry. Christ, everything that is in the dark will be brought forth in the light. 
everyone's works will be, will be judged and be put to the fire. Sorry. Yes, I think traditional Catholicism is beautiful. But I think if tradition is not practiced with, with, with the truth, with, with the moral truth, okay, because remember, if we have wicked, we, we have filthy garments, the Lord's not going to accept us. Okay, no matter, no matter how, no matter what. And I think a lot of it has, has, because it's all turned to tribalism. You know, I was listening to Dr. Jordan Peterson. And it's interesting, Nietzsche is a very disturbing figure, but Nietzsche, you know, even a crazy man can speak the truth every now and then. <laughs> Nietzsche mentioned in his uh, madness that because uh, at the time, this is interesting, the the fact that in the 19th century, uh, the, the, uh, the, the modernist revolution in a sense, has killed God. Not that God, you can't kill God, but in the minds and hearts of of Europe, the faith was gone. Nietzsche recognized it, and that because you know the Catholic faith was losing its grip, it started long before Vatican II. We all got reduced to ide uh, ideological tribes. Because that's that's the first that's the, that's what's going to happen next, and that exactly did happen. Look at us. You got BLM. You got uh, gender ideology. You got uh, everybody got reduced to a form of tribalism, and this happened in the Catholic Church. Ideal ideological tribalism, because because we lost something. In the Catholic Church, we've lost unity. We've lost unity. Unity in, in worship. And, you know, I mean, maybe unity in leadership. And unity, unity in doctrine. Unity in practice of doctrine. We've lost it. The truth is, we're, 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 we're different churches. Even within conservative conservative Catholicism, you uh, you know we're different churches. You got the, the 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 corrupt cleric churches, and you got the lay the different lay lay tribal churches. You got liberal. You got you got the conservative Norris Ordo. And you got the the uh, the trads. The different forms of trads too, by the way. You can't say all trads are the same. You got the sedeve contests, the ones who believe that, that there is no pope. And then you got the 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 Archbishop Lefebvre, the SSPX, you got the Institute of Christ the King. You got all those you got different forms. You got even the atheistic Catholics. That's another tribalistic one over there, around in one corner or not. You got the the politicians like Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden and and Mario Cuomo. You got their form of political Catholicism, liberal political Catholicism. We're divided. We're divided. The devil got what he he got what he wanted. And and we're playing along. We're playing along. It's sad, but it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless because there's, I think with all honesty, sooner or later, the Holy Spirit is going to unite all of us.
I have faith in that. All right, so I'm going to end it here. I'm glad I got a chance to do this letter. Uh, I think what I'll do is I'll probably do a part two of this and go over again uh, the passage of scripture that Pope Francis points to because I think it's worth it's worth talking about. All right, so let's end it with a Hail Mary, three Hail Marys, and we're going to do it for the Pope. Okay, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. God bless.